Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the 41st episode of Hit the Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball drinks, cationado, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we take a trip from the Queen City to the World Series, plunk Don Mattingly, oh, that just hurt my heart saying that, watch it come home again, celebrate showtime with Miss Cleo, ask, should we revisit which drugs to ban in sports, and we lose our jersey in the San Francisco's fog. So, want to start off this episode like we do all the other episodes that have preceded it by... Just showcasing what it is that we're drinking today. So today I am drinking a nice screwdriver on a very hot summer day with Svetka vodka topped with tree ripe orange juice. And it is hitting pretty nicely right now. I'm drinking it out of this like a uh, really dark like mug. It's usually used for coffee, but you know, I figured like if I'm gonna drink like a, like a highball right now, I might as well do it almost like a wino, but drink it in the coffee mug like I was at work. So, eh, but it's really good. What are you up to? What are you drinking today, Dorian? What's going on, man? Good to see you, my friend. Cheers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the... I'm just going to have a drink before I start. I always make it a point not to drink beforehand, uh, before the podcast, but... Um, I don't. Anyways, <laughs> I know. <laughs> we are always at varying levels of toastiness. Like you, you're coming in nice and high. Yeah, I'm usually at the top uh, of the peak. I'm like either yeah. like coming to the mountain or hitting it. Yes, yeah, and then you sometimes will hit it on the back end. So when I'm stumbling, bumbling over words, but today I'm drinking a beer called Brown uh, Brown Bear Brown Ale from Catawba Catawba. There we go, Wumba. It's 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 spelled C A T A W B A. Catawba Catawba Ball with a ball. Catawba Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> and I want to go over that in Charlotte, North Carolina, they have a minor league baseball team called the Charlotte Knights. And they are the AAA affiliate of one of HVP's favorite baseball teams, the Chicago White Sox. And way, we're going to get way back into the way back machine. Back when the Charlotte Knights were, were affiliated with the Cleveland Indians back in the early 90s, the Charlotte Knights produced some amazing players that went that went on to help the Cleveland Indians play in the World Series, go to the playoffs a bunch of times. And back at that, that, that Charlotte, of course, there, the nickname of the Charlotte is the Queen City. So the Queen City helped the Cleveland Indians get to the World Series. Because back in 93, DiCarlo, this team had, as their manager, Charlie Manuel. Manuel? Manuel? Manuel. Manuel, Manuel whatever. Charlie Manuel. He was the manager Charlie of them. Manuel. Oh, I'm sorry. That was pretty perfect. Charlie Manuel. It looks, it, it, that's a Spanish last name to me, so I'm going to pronounce it that way. But anyways, he goes, uh, he was a manager of that team, and he then was a coach for the Cleveland Indians, and he later won his own World Series with the Philadelphia Phillies, and they had a, they had a great team back about, what, 12, 13 years ago? On that same 1983 Charlotte Knights team, they had third baseman Jim Tomey, future mm. Hall of Famer, Sandy Alomar played some games for them because he was on a rehab assignment. And another pitcher who had a long baseball career, uh, Paul Bird, he's now an announcer with the Atlanta Braves. He was on that team as, as well. As you can imagine, with this talent on the bench and as these young studs coming up, uh, 
that team won the minor minor league world, the minor league championship, whatever. And then the next year, the 94 team had a shortstop by the name of Omar Vizquel, another badass player who played for a long time. So Yeah, he was a really good fielder, man. Like one of it was it was interesting. People would put him in the same class, like player wise, like Ozzy Smith. Wasn't really known for his batting per se, but his fielding was just like amazing. Yeah, and, and, and again, you baseball fans know though, those Cleveland Indian teams of the mid-90s were, they were, were monsters. They, they were, were monsters. Solid. They went to the 95 World Series, and it basically took a historic pitching uh, pitching series by the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, they, they were probably did. the only team that could have stopped that Indians team that year. Only the Braves could have stopped yeah, that. Yeah, they had Dennis Martinez. Like in the pitching staff, you had Charles Nagy, you had Dennis Martinez. Oral Hersheiser. Hersheiser. And then, of course, bat-wise, you had Al, Al, Albert Bell, Jim Tomey. Um, who else was on that squad? Didn't they have Eddie Murray? I think they had Eddie, yes, Eddie, Eddie Murray, Murray Yes, Eddie Murray was – he was the agent at that yeah. point. And he was still bopping yeah. him, but he was old. Like, he was – like I mean, was, not Eddie, Eddie Murray from the Orioles days. But, yeah. yeah, that was a really, really solid That season. was a month. That team – that was a strike season. They only played 144 games. They won a hundred games in not the strike season. It was a shortened season because of the, because you know, of the, the lockout. Yeah. But that, that was a monster team. But, and then, uh, then two years later, they get to the world series again against Florida, the upstart Florida Marlins. Uh, again, all those guys from the Charlotte Knights, they're there again, playing in the world series in 1997. And they lost in the bottom of the ninth in game seven, which is, that must be just like a stab in the heart. Yeah. It had to be, especially being that they lost to the expansion Marlins, too. Like, nobody – you know, the Marlins, they got to give them credit in terms of how that they, Marlins like, would always – They were. Edgar Renteria. You had um, – Gary Sheffield. Other? Gary Sheffield. Oh, yeah, Mr. Hammerswing. Moises Alou. Yeah. Edgar – yeah, Livian, Livian Hernandez. I, that, that team was no joke. It was like, yeah, they were, uh, they were what, five, six years away from an expansion. But that team, the way they built it. Yeah, it was really good. Jeff Conine, Mr. Marlin. Bobby Bonilla was on that team. Bobby Bo. Still the, He's still getting the most paid. paid. Still, and you know what? Did you, recently, he had a deal with Airbnb and the Mets because they have a suite in City Field. And so for Bobby Bonilla, like on his birthday, they were doing a deal where people could get an Airbnb and stay at City Field. Plus, they'd be able to be at one of the game, like at the game that day. And it was between him and Airbnb. I'm like, man, even after being out of the Mets, he's still doing, making ways to still make money from that team. So, shout out to him. You know what they were talking about that because the the new owner of the New York Mets, uh, Steve Cohen, Uncle Steve, as everyone calls him now, they were because he's very active on social media. He has yeah, a, on he has Twitter, Twitter, he's very always, like talkative. Like, hey, what's going on? Awesome. I was at dinner. What did you? That's pretty cool. I like that about him. So one of the things that was brought up to him was, hey, you know what? Some part of the, of the Mets fan base was like, hey, Mr. Cohen, you know, please, why don't you just pay this guy off? Like he he still owed, I think, like something like thirty-five million dollars. But give him the the net discount on the on what it's worth today, as opposed to every year being quote unquote embarrassed as the Mets organization. But Steve Cohen, he has actually a sense of humor. Someone else had the idea of why don't we make it a, a Bobby Bonilla day? where Bobby Bonilla would come onto the field, kind of like, you know, in those Corvettes <laughs> waving, and they would ceremoniously <laughs> hand him one of those old oversight checks from, uh, like, what is it, clearing the, the National the Publisher's Clearing House, yeah. Publisher's Clearing House, like, or one of those wacky checks that you get if you win the lotto for, like, half a million dollars. 
and just make a joke of it. It's like, you know what? This is from an old regime. This has nothing to do with Uncle Steve. And he embraced it. And he actually apparently said that he looked into it, but it was like too late to do it. And so that's why they did the Airbnb thing a few weeks ago. Because Bobby Bonilla did it, I think, is on the 1st of July every, every year. Yeah, until about the year 2035, something crazy. So next year, people, <laughs> you're probably you're probably going to be able to go to Bobby Bonilla Day at City Field out in Flushing uh, and watch Bobby Bonilla get his million dollar oversized check. Go for him! Shout out to that. It guy. sounds it's it's very like Happy Gilmore ish as well. Yeah, <laughs> you remember that when he wins his first check, he's like, "No, I'm just going to take this to the bank," and they're like, "No, it's not real." <laughs> but of course, Bobby Bonilla is not that dumb. He's really not. He's a smart man, yeah. and he's a very rich man as well. Yeah, shout out to him. So. Yeah, so not only will Bobby Bonilla Day happen at City Field next year, because everyone now is starting to love Bobby Bonilla. He's no because the Will Ponds are no longer the owners, and we also love our pets. Or do we love our pets? Here I am skipping all over the place. I'm telling yep, you, this he's already, Catalba, he's already up. No, we, we love our drinks, and we Canal, want people Canalba. to tweet them. Tweet <laughs> your drinks. What are you drinking at the ballpark? What are you drinking at home? When you're grilling? Whatever you're doing. Our Twitter handle is at HPP4040. And when you send us a picture, we're going to retweet it on our amazing, most famous Twitter handle and use the hashtag HBPDrink. This past weekend, something made me want to, I don't know about drink, but maybe throw a drink at somebody. And I would have taken a picture of that. And that man, Carlo, is your boy, this pound, Donnie Baseball. Don Mattingly, the uh, manager of the Miami Marlins. But why is he? Why is he your boy? Why is he uh, Donnie Baseball? Oh man, Don Mattingly. When I was a kid, he was Mister. Like he was the Yankee. He was the dude. Like literally the only first. Guy. Like yeah, he really was. Like in the early nineties, he was the only guy. We had nobody. Late eighties. Yeah. Late eighties too. Yeah, it was late eighties. He was the hitman, <sighs> and he could feel the hell on first base. Like he hit. He, he had for power, he had for average, he fielded really well. Like, he was just a really – and he was a solid – he seemed like a solid professional. So this is why it kind of – it makes me feel a little disheartened to hear, you know, the accusations that are being levied against him currently. It's, uh, I, it's a travesty in my opinion. It's not accusations. Uh, Homeboy also won MVP back in 80 – was it 83, I think it was? I think it was 85. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't really remember. Um, it was 85, <clears throat> excuse me, but my reason for wanting to throw a drink at this man, maybe that should be a new, <laughs> that should be a new segment, is that the, yeah, Don Mattingly is a, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame baseball player. Is he in the Hall of Fame? No, right. he's not. Yeah, he is, right? No. He's not? Mm -mm. That's crazy. I well, it's not because you know why? He was one of those players who, though he was consistent, he, he wasn't, he didn't come up in the, like, he wasn't one of those, like, astronomical players, especially for the position he played. So, like, first baseman, you envision, like, you know, 30, 40, 50 home runs. Like, he had a few, like, 30 home run seasons. He won a couple of gold gloves. Won one MVP, but he wasn't, like, a consistent all-star all the time. Like, he was a solid player, but he wasn't, you know. He, he, here I am defending Don Mattingly, the player, when I, when I want to throw a, a drink at him as a manager. But I'm going to tell you this. Don Mattingly played for – he never played for a bad – the Yankees weren't bad. They were exceedingly average. Every year for about three or four-year period, they would just be right around 500. They would win as many games as they lost. There was nothing spectacular about the Yankees. By the time Mattingly got old and was no longer to play, that's when all those uh, – 
uh, who was the center fielder? The the Jazz guy. Bernie Bernie Williams, Bernie Williams came Bernie up. Williams. Posada came up. Uh, Jeter came up. All the guys that helped the Yankees go to like five or six World Series and win about four of them. He was already too old for that. Yeah, if he they had already been, had Tino Martinez playing in this position at that point. He he gets knocked because he was the again he was a Yankees like who you can't even remember the last the last Yankee star I remember playing before Mattingly was uh, Dave Winfield. Winfield. Oh yeah yeah yeah. He played Winfield. with him like in the early or mid eighties. After that, the, it was just he was the and early eighties. Like he played like seven seasons with the Yankees too. Like he yeah, was but what like, I'm saying that's that's the last Yankees I the Yankee player that I remember that's actually a star. No. And then it was Mattingly, and then it was like nobody. That, those were just rant, just really, really average teams. But anyways, Mattingly, I'm gonna throw. I, I want to throw a beer at you because you keep telling your boys, the Miami Marlins pitchers, to keep hitting the Atlanta Braves right fielder and all world player, the Venezuelan Ronald Acuna Jr. Acuna Jr. just he really does dominate. He owns the Marlins team. But over the past three seasons, in 2019, 2020. And 20, what year are we in? 2021. 2021. They have, he has, the Marlins have hit him five times and he's only played them 52 times in his career. So there's a 10% chance every single time he goes up to bat that they're going to throw him. And it's not like a, oh damn, the ball got away from him. And you know, someone gets hit in the shoulder, in the buttocks, in the thigh. They go after his head. They go after his ribs. Some guy actually threw behind him, but it wasn't even intentional. They were actually trying to, and, and, it's unbelievable. This is one of the things that I really, really hate about baseball is that these grown ass men are, are, are using a ball and throwing it 9,500 miles an hour and trying to intentionally hurt you. This man has been hit five times by them. And one time they almost broke his wrist. And last year, the Braves played the Marlins in the divisional playoffs and they hit him in that series at six times. They Maddenly just had uh, one of the, one of the stupid pitchers hit him last week, Brian Snicker. The manager of the Braves came out and he said, and he was caught on camera saying, I'm tired of this, of this. Shh. You can already imagine the four letter word that he used. And he was pointing at Mattingly, pointing at the, the pitcher. And then the umpires threw out Mattingly, rightly so. It's ridiculous. And I could go on and on about this, but I hate, I, I don't use the word hate often. I really, really dislike Don Mattingly as the manager of the Miami Marlins. And uh, Acuna later, he, 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 on his Twitter account, he said, quote, they hit me because they don't get me out, end quote. And I'm glad he's taking the high road, but Acuna, he gets pissed off every time they hit him. And then almost automatically, the next time he comes up to bat, he comes up to bat, he hits a home run to show them that you guys are garbage and that's a garbage organization. And Derek Jeter, who we were talking about earlier, is the, what does he call himself? Like the executive president or whatever the hell he is, managing director of the Mighty Marlins. It's like, dude, come on. You got to tell your boy Madden to stop playing like this this isn't fucking freaking uh you know 1905 but anyways we've been playing baseball for a long time and across the pond they've been playing football calcio soccer a long time as well yeah so we had the well the semifinals of the euros has finally concluded so we have our teams that are playing in the finals so we have italy versus england and um have to first kind of do a recap so Italy versus Spain went into extra time. Um, ended up Italy taking it on, on penalties. Not a bad choice, I think, in terms of team wise. Italy has played a really, really good like game throughout this tournament. They had a kind of 
thinking about their their ways through the group stages, they really just they just plowed through opponents for the most part. And when they needed to just play like a more conservative game of football, they did. But they were really aggressive in their approach, which was uncharacteristic of previous Italian teams. So that was a, a nice sign, a new breath of fresh air, especially playing against a team like Spain. And I thought it was interesting. Um, one uh, bit of commentary just regarding Spain in terms of why they potentially didn't um, go to the finals or take it to the, to like, or even potentially win is because they were missing that like punch in terms of who out in front, like they didn't have Fernando Torres or David Villa, like they didn't have a proven striker who could score clinically where Alvaro Morata, he did play well, but there was a lot of inconsistencies and he was missing goals like he was missing the opportunity to score when he should have been like that should have that when ball should have been buried into the net he was um scruffing them and then there, of course there were at times like in this game in the 80th minute where he scored the goal to bring it to extra time but then sadly he also was the goat being that he missed the penalty which then allowed for uh Jorginho to get to the spot and bury a very sweetly taken penalty so that's Italy. And then England, they were playing against Denmark. Denmark started the game off like they scored first on a free kick, but then uh, also scored on an own goal. And then England scored. You had um, Harry Kane off of a questionable penalty for the most part. Like in, in live play, it looked like it was a penalty. Then on replay, it really looked like it maybe wasn't, wouldn't have been. But um, Harry Kane actually missed it. It was saved by um, Kasper Schmeichel, but then um, Kane scored it off the rebound, which then allowed for England to move forward. And being that this tournament final is going to be played in London, it, it brings a little question too, because the last time the English won a major tournament, it was in the World Cup in 66 when it was played in England. And now Euro 2020, though there wasn't like a one set unified place where it was played, the final is going to be played in England. So it might be an omen that this uh, Euro competition might be coming home, as yeah, the English I'm, like to say, and everybody else com- hates. It, it's a very, it's it's a very famous song. It's coming home. It's I think it's from the ninety six, the nineteen ninety six Euros, called uh, it the Three Lions. It, it's definitely from nineteen eighty six. But anyways, I'm going to say one word about the Italian national team in Euro twenty two being played in. Year 2020. 2021. Yeah. Codardo. Codardo. Codardo in Italian means cowards. It mean, In Spanish, it's colarde. Codardo in Italian. The way they played, they were a bunch of colardi, plural of cowards. I, as DiCarlo mentioned, I was surprised as everyone else was. The, the majority of the tournament, the Italians came to play football. People, if you aren't football, soccer fans, calcio fans, as they say in Italy, Italy never, and I mean never, shows up at international tournaments to play football. They're just there to defend and take up space. They're just a waste of space who have nice jerseys. That's it. But in Euro 2020, they've been playing open, attacking, really attractive football. And that, that all, all of that credit goes to former Manchester Manchester City manager and I think former Inter Milan manager, Roberto Mancini, yeah. he has changed the way they play, which is like, I always have a reactive, when I 
reactive thing when I see the Italians play. I'm like, it's it's such a waste. For me, it's not because I don't like. I love Italy. I love the Italians, but it's it's like they waste their talents only defending. So here they go. They they beat Belgium, arguably the best team in Euro 2020, and they go all the way to the semis and they play Spain. And Spain, they run they run circles around the Italians. I, the some of the players that really intru- in uh, in, not inspired, but uh, they, I, I was surprised by them. Whereas Pedri, the young, I think he's like 18, 19 year old forward from, uh, from FC Barcelona and Danny Olmo, Danny Olmo. He was just slicing them apart. The Italians, any, they, the, the few dangerous chances that Italians had, it was always on counterattacks, mm. always reactionary. They never built something up. And by the time the Spaniards had a, 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 had a well-deserved equalizer, I think in the 80th minute yeah. that, uh, you know, Alvaro Morata finally scored, the Italians were like, we're going to shut this thing down and we're going back. We're going to revert to type. We're going to play negative football. We didn't forget about playing. We're not here to play. We're just going to sit in our own half and uh, good luck trying to score. And it was just boring to watch because the Spanish, they are – I think they are the most technically gifted squad in the world. When you watch them and the way they they receive the ball, they pass it, they move around people, they and they all of those guys, not all of them, but a lot of those guys have deceptive speed, the Spanish players. It's really nice to watch. The Italians are like, no, we're not, we don't even want the ball. And I and actually I was watching the handful of matches I watched for Euro 2020 were in Spanish on the television channel Univision. And in the, the one of the commentators in Spanish said, it was just during an extra time. It's like the Italians aren't, don't want to play. They can't even hold on to the ball for more than 10 seconds. It's like, how are they going to hold off the Spaniards? Because uh, you get tired defending for so long. And, and, and they were. They were tired. And they were playing for penalties from like minute 60. And it's, uh, it's disappointing to watch. But anyway, so. But it's efficient. I mean, but all you got to do is go it, back and think. It's entertainment. It's entertainment, though. Yeah, Come but on, they like... want to win the damn game. It's it's entertainment for us. And the Spanish didn't? They actually no, were, they trying they were trying to score a goal. They were trying to score the... the winning goal. Yeah, they were but trying, the but like... this is where they miss having that, like, clinical striker. Yeah. Like, you you could ticky-tacky the hell out of people, but if you can't actually score, the like, a, a goal, it doesn't mean anything. It's just possession. And that was, like, I mean, it yeah. was even that, – that's always been the thing with the Spanish. Like, it's – they always have a dearth of midfielders. Always. Defenders, okay, you might – they've been blessed with a, a good batch these last couple of generations, but it's strikers. Like, the last – like, that last group of Spanish players where you had Fernando Torres, when you had Davavia, when you had Xavi and Iniesta in the midfield, like, they had those strikers who could come in and score. Then even off the bench, you had um, – what is it? Um, what, Llorente, um Manuel. David Villa was on was on the, a couple of those winning title winning scores. Yeah, as he well. was on he the was team, awesome. Yeah, and then you also had like a Danny Guisa who came off the bench and could score when necessary. But they had strikers who could score. They didn't really have anybody a Spanish team. Like you had midfielders like Danny Omo. He was cutting them up. He was able to set up places. You had Pedri. You had Ferran Torres coming off the left hand side. Like and you had Jordi Alba and um, who's on the right side? I'm blanking. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm blaming. Anyway, but even still, it, it missing a clinical striker didn't help Spain in this point, and that's what gave Italy the edge. And when it came down to penalties, they scored the winning ones. So yeah, yeah. Again, it, it's 
negative football is i remember i i had this conversation with a cousin of mine back in the 2002 world cup i think it was and we he had he said and it always it's it's true football is the most unjust sport there is because more often than not a team that's clearly better and i'm not talking about just a spanish club here but it's just a spanish national team a team that's clearly better is the aggressor wants to win in soccer in football and calcio it's 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 incredible how often the team that's negative is rewarded with a win with the three points with advancement in tournaments whether it's in cups domestic cups international competitions so it's uh again it wasn't just about possession the spanish were active actually actively looking to score a goal much like the english were looking to score a goal against denmark because denmark again playing almost like italy but not as they don't have the good as they have good players but not as good as italy they shut it down they're like nope we don't want the ball. We don't want to play. No, we just want to get to extra time. And it's you as a spectator. This is entertainment, people. This is just like you going to watch your favorite comedian, listen to your favorite baseball podcast that they like to drink on. You want to you want to laugh. You want to hear interesting things. You want to watch entertainment or listen to entertainment. And the, the Danes didn't do it. And neither did the Italians and half of them were rewarded. So uh, I hope that England beats Italy and wins uh, their very first European championship and gets yeah, rewarded nice. by gets rewarded with positive, aggressive football because they want to score more than uh, one goal and not take it to a penalty. So, I, you know, it would be crazy, though, just kind of on another note. So, like, if you think about England, um, so, like, 2020 initiated, like, fully Brexit. And so, you know, Corona, everything happens. But then, like, Great Britain has a decent supply a vaccine so their economy gets open quicker and then they win the euros so it's kind of like almost like since splitting with the eu england's kind of on top right now with a lot of events so it's really interesting just to kind of see and it would be i think it would really be funny like i thought story-wise it would be either good if england won because final played in london you know, just kind of how the trajectory of, like, England somewhat, you know, in terms of how they're, like, not – they haven't had the greatest of luck, but they've been pretty fortunate, especially considering that Brexit has taken place and everybody thought it would be initially a calamity. And – or Denmark, because they would have the storybook type of ending with, you know, the, the, the first match, their star player goes down, you know, possible almost, you know, has a life-threatening situation and then the team rallies – you know, out of his absence to that power their way through. Nobody ever thought that they would make it this far and, you know, come away, like, and he's in the stands watching them. And so, like, that would have been, like, a nice storybook ending. So, it's like, at least one of these, if they have, like, a decent story ending, it would be kind of nice. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up with completely disagreeing with you because if it had been Denmark and Italy in the final, what's the point of game. What's the point of watching? It would have been nil-nil. Not a single, maybe like one or two shots on goal, and they would have gone to penalties, and they, and like the Italians would have won eleven to ten on penalties. It would have been a horror. Yeah, yeah, gross. I don't want yeah, the danger. Yeah, but I'm the thinking Italians about it for the sentiment. I'm not thinking about it. like sentimentally wise. It would have been. But. I'm thinking about my sentiments and how I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna spend two or two and a half hours of my time during the final. But I will I I will watch it now that England at least is uh is in the final, but. As you move on to the next segment, we bring back an old favorite who is not a godarda. She's not a coward. And we're always impressed by her 
foresight, and that is Miss Cleo time, aka weekly predictions. Not really so much weekly, but just predictions in general. Back in episode 26, this was right around when Major League Baseball started. Episode 26, one of my predictions was, with the help of Miss Khalil, of course, that Shohei Otani, the stud, monstrous Japanese player for the Los Angeles Angels, I predicted that he was going to be voted as an all-star as both a pitcher and a hitter. And ding, ding, ding virtual high five with miss cleo from the great beyond we were right to carlo we as in me and me and miss cleo were right i predicted this there's other predictions that have yet to be come true but we'll know at the end of the season so shohei otani he is the first player in the history of major league baseball to be voted as an all-star for both pitching or both as a hitter and a pitcher i just told you that he's had a monster he's had a monster first half He's hit 32 home runs. He leads Major League Baseball. He's, he's unbelievably powerful. If you see this guy, and I said this back in, back in that episode, he's jacked. Because a lot of times if you think of some of Japanese players, you think of Suzuki or, or uh, Hideko Nomu or uh, who was the Boston Red Sox pitcher? Dice. Mat- Mat- Daisuke Matuzaka. Matuzaka. No, 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 no. Oh, Otani looks like he's body. He looks like a bodybuilder. If you see him without a shirt on, he's got swollen arms, swollen shoulders. I think he's like six two, and he runs like the wind. It, it, the fact that this guy can throw like ninety seven miles an hour, and he's so strong that he his exit velocity, which is basically how fast you hit a ball, because you want to you want that to be as as loud and not loud as fast as possible. Because if you hit a ball fast, it's going to go far. And it's going to go very far away from the, the opposing defenders. He's seventh in the league with exit velocity. His average ball that he hits is clocked in at 93.5 miles per hour. And he has, he's tied with, your, with another one of your boys, Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees right fielder, with the fastest, uh, the hardest hit ball of the season at 119 miles an hour. That's almost like unfathomable, like, that's it's terrible. crazy, it's and he's had like he he really is. One of the ones I remembered, I was and I said, "Oh, shh, the same word that Brian Snicker said when he he stormed out of the dugout and was mad as hell against on Mattingly back on the twenty fifth of June." The the Los Angeles Angels were playing in Tampa against Tampa Bay Rays. Otani was hitting leadoff. He hit his twenty fourth home run. And the ball hit off the catwalk above the TV screens on the right field of Tropicana Field. I had never seen anyone hit it up there. It was disgusting. And even the announcers are like, oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. It was it was sick. It was sick how hard he hit, how hard he hits the ball. He's hit big home runs against the Yankees a few weeks ago at the end of June. Uh, against the Red Sox recently, back on the 6th of July. He's, he was a starting pitcher, and of course, he was a DH. As a starting pitcher, he went seven innings. He only gave up five hits, two earned runs, and struck out four. In the same game, he had a hit, and he scored a run. The reason it's it, he isn't an odd, he's not an oddity. It's not like a play thing. It's like, oh, it's so cute that this one guy is kind of, you know, he's a good okay pitcher, okay hitter. Like, no, again, he le- he's leading the league in home runs at 32. Every game, 
he has, I think he started, I think, 13 or 15 games. Every game except one, he gives you at least six innings. In today's game, that's that's what you're asking for your starters. This isn't 1991 where you expect them to have to throw a complete game. But And he was one of the first ones to say, I'm competing in the home run derby. And that's going to be awesome because I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be in it. I don't know if Acuna said he was going to be in it. There's an, I cannot wait to watch this all the the All Star Home Run Derby very soon. That's going to be some must see TV. And of course, we had said that it's Showtime because back in Japan, his nickname is Showtime. I, but I don't know any Japanese. I have absolutely no idea how to say that. But because his name is Shohei Otani, they probably just. But I was Showtime. thinking to Carlo. Yeah, you know, I was thinking to Carlo is, I genuinely think this guy's one of the most marketable, recognizable baseball players in the past 30 years. Because hmm. really only a handful of guys who are just likable and marketable will come to mind. And that was Ken Griffey Jr., maybe Derek Jeter, but that's only because Derek Jeter played for the New York Yankees. If Derek Jeter played for the Chicago White Sox, he wouldn't have been that hyped. Because Derek Jeter was a very good player, but he, he was never the best shortstop. And no. maybe Bryce Harper. Those are the only three. Those will, are the only okay, three. okay, okay, okay. We could go to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to. Yes, in terms of the best overall player, in terms of say, like, God-given talent. No, Alex Rodriguez was the best showstop in that aspect in that era because it was, it was no Mar Garcia Parra, Derek Jeter, A Rod. A Rod was the best in terms of his athletic ability. Oh, absolutely. Like, Nomar Garcia Power was probably second in that end. But Jeter, in terms of not only was he above average player, like he was a good fielder, he was a solid bat, but he, he had the, the mental acuity that that was the X factor that catapulted him above those other two. Whereas A-Rod showed he was a, an ass when he did that interview and threw Jeter under the bus. And we didn't throw it under a bus. It was kind of just like flaunting too heavily. And it's like, all right, yeah, we know you're good. But Derek, like, he wins championships. He has a mentality, like a championship type of mentality. And that spirit, he was able to help transfer throughout the whole organization and team. Like, what he brought was a, a genuine captain lifting spirit. So that's where I would say to me why I think thinking about it in the long term, and this is why his star is always going to burn brighter than those who were given athletically better. But in terms of overall intangibles, and of course, playing for the New York Yankees and playing for them at a time when the organization resurrected from the malaise that it was in throughout the 80s. But when yeah. Donnie Baseball was there. Yeah, so. But that's, but to Carlo, that's my point, that Derek Jeter was – a very good player. I would never do only an idiot would say he sucked. No, absolutely. He was a very good player, but if he had played for the Texas Rangers or the yeah, Chicago White right, Sox, you're right, you're right. he would have, he would have, he would have gone to his five, seven all-star games. They might've gone to a couple of uh, playoff games and he may have been an awesome player then, but because again, unlike Donnie, Donnie baseball, Don Mattingly, when he was with the star of the Yankees, he had nobody. Yeah. Derek Jeter. He's he, he comes up clutch because also because he was put in the position to do that because of his amazing uh, players. But anyways, like I was saying to my point with Shohei Otani is I really only think about three players over the past 30 years, not who are as good as him because there's some of them are better than him, but the marketability and the likability of Ken Griffey Jr. 
the guy played in Seattle. Like, what's what is that? Like the fiftieth biggest market in America. Mm-hmm. Then you have Derek Jeter and maybe Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was almost almost on that cusp of breaking through, but it didn't. So uh, I hope Shohei Otani does it because he's massive in Japan. He should be massive in Major League Baseball, but baseball does a terrible – again, this is not original. Baseball does a terrible job of marketing their stars. So, anyways, there's also some marketing that's always a part of this podcast. Yes. And so we want to give a shout-out to our show sponsor for today, Anna's Cleaners, providing the best dry cleaning experience in all of the Tri-City area. They specialize in the use of of organic cleaning chemicals – excuse me – to ensure that your clothes are clean and not harmed in any way, shape, or form, as well as ensuring that what they use to dry clean your clothes does not hurt Mother Nature. So whenever you're in the Tri-City area and your shirt needs to be dry cleaned because you are having a little bit too much fun on that business trip, come to Anna's. Your clothes will thank you for it. So I got something on my mind today. What's that? So, you know, there was, I don't know if you heard, I know this whole thing with, uh, what is it, Shikari Richardson, who we know we got the Olympics coming up in Tokyo this month, right? Yeah, it's like this month or something like that. And uh, she, she was the, she qualified initially for the 100 meter dash for the Olympic team, but unfortunately was suspended because she tested positive for um, THC, which is a chemical um, within marijuana. And she came out, apologized, stated that she did use marijuana really in um, response to, you know, the passing of her biological mother. And considering that she lives in the state of Oregon, which marijuana is legal there, you know, she didn't think of it as an issue. Um, I think this brings into question because this isn't the, like we started to see organizations like the NBA, NFL, they're not like marijuana is not going to be on their list of banned substances. So then, so if players test positive for it, they won't be suspended anymore. But with track and field, and especially with the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, the use of marijuana, though it is not a performing enhancing drug, it still is, there is a prohibition against it. Federally, there's a prohibition against it in the United States and also in other countries as well. But I ask like, you know, you know, apart from her situation, I think regardless of the situation, the rules are the rules. In this case, you know, regardless of the fact that it's legal where she resides, if you are training for events like this, and that is a substance that you can be suspended for, regardless of the legality of where, where you live, you shouldn't, you shouldn't partake. You know, I, of course, am sympathetic and empathize with her with you know, the loss and, and trying to find ways to cope and sometimes medicating, you know, people do that. But people have asked the question, like, why is marijuana even one of these substances that's on these, uh, that's popping up in these drug tests? Because for one, it's not performing and performing enhancing. Um, It actually probably slows people down. And um, being that the prohibition against it is really starting to fade, you know, legally in the United States with more and more states legalizing it for medicinal uses and recreational uses. Like, do we need to start revisiting the substances that are um, listed on these banned lists. What are your thoughts on that? Like you said it right there, smoking marijuana or whether, whether people ingest it through edibles or what do people do now? Drops? 
drops. <laughs> this edible. does not help you run. You're not running faster. You're not hitting a ball harder. You're not uh, scoring goals better because because you got high, like our boy Afro Man said. What did he say? Uh, I I was gonna clean my room until I got high. Oh, oh, oh. I was gonna go to class before I got high. That was a very bad rendition, but (laughs) this isn't steroids. And there's a petition on on the internet about letting uh, letting her run. And someone said, using their version of Johnny Cochran, if it ain't crack let her on the track <laughs> to do the OJ Simpson defensive. If yeah. it doesn't, if the glove doesn't fit, you must, you must have quit. Have quit. <laughs> but it's true. Like, even if it, look, look, that's not bringing crack, but it's, it's not a performance enhancing drug. Yes. It is still federally, it is illegal in the eyes of the federal government in this government. There's a lot of governments around the world that it's no longer illegal. One of them being Portugal, home of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And the great Eusebio, the great uh, man who played in the 1966 Cup, England won that, that specific World Cup. Anyways, I I totally agree with you. It, it's, it's ridiculous that some person's childhood dreams who have, we can't, I can't imagine you have, how hard you have to work to become, not just, not an Olympian, to get to the point where you can be part of the qualification pool to be an Olympian for your country. How many track and field stars are there in, there, are there in this country? Who knows? How many people are actually invited, and not invited, but qualified to be, okay, you have the potential to be an Olympian. What, 100 people? Like, that's, that is insane. And for her to, to lose this opportunity because she smoked a, air quotes, drug, an herb that, Let's be real. In the next, in our lifetime, in the next 20 to 30 years, I genuinely believe that this drug, air quotes, will be federally, will no longer be considered federal. Even quicker. uh, Even quicker. You know why? Because the largest markets between New York and California are already legalized for medical and recreational. And the fact that when you just think about tax revenues, like when you have conservative states that are even, um, you know, lifting their their bans and the federal government. Even when you have Clarence Thomas, like he recently went on record stating, you know, almost like, well, there's no reason for it to even be like a federal prohibition on it anymore. There's there's a lot of money there. So tax revenue. Colorado's made a lot of money. And, yeah, and it's like these the the main issue. Just on another note, is just you know making the markets equitable because. You know, you've had these larger corporations who've come into some of these states that have created marketplaces. And because the, the requirements are so high, there's a lot of barriers to entry for a lot of other people who unfortunately have had to serve, you know, prison sentences because of their affiliation or working within the drug market when it's been illegal, but then, you know, are having difficulty even when some of these programs are supposed to like expunge their records and help them get into it. So, you know, Within, yeah, I, I would say even faster than 20 years. I believe within the next five to 10 years, you'll see that because the money is going to be too big. Like it's going to be so much. And there are a lot of people who like weed. I, look, I'm going to be a little, I don't want to say cynical. I'm going to be real with you, my friend. It's going to take more than 10 years because Congress is in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry. 
And so the pharmaceutical industry is not against, they are against legalizing this natural herb. The thing is they need a head start to start their, to start producing new products with uh, marijuana. And until they do, then they will release the congressmen and senators in their pockets to say, we're ready to make money. Now you can make it legal. Mm. The power, pharmaceutical industry, just like the, the financial sector, they buy the best government that you can afford. And I don't mean this in a crazy conspiracy way. It's, no, it's how the sausage your, gets made. Your, your <laughs> fav, ladies and gentlemen, your favorite senator, your favorite congressperson, congressman, it's actually congressman. It's not being, we're not being uh, uh, machistas here. It's English grammar's congress per, congressman, not congressperson. They all take loads of money from different sectors of society, one of them being the pharmaceutical industry. When the pharmace, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industry says, we're ready, that's when you're gonna. That's when you're gonna see it. So it's not because of California or New York State or Florida is gonna make it legal. It's when pharmaceutical companies are ready. Yeah, but then you're gonna have the competing interests. But you're gonna have the competing interests because you already have, say, the tobacco industry that's been consolidating their their stake within a lot of these marijuana startups. And then you also have a lot of like former like congressmen and other individuals who are lobbyists or on the board, like lobbying for these companies or on the board of these companies. So I think. I agree with you. Yeah. The pharmaceutical industry has getting their tentacles and also they've deployed them by, by actually partnering or buying some of these smaller like marijuana startups and being able to buy the grow houses and the territories and lands that they use to actually grow their products. That's already taking place. Um, but then you're also just seeing like, it's, it's going to be a war lobbying, but regardless of the fact that you're, you're starting to see even the federal government loosen restrictions and allowing say, um, financial institutions to potentially like provide loans to these companies because like there's too much money to be made. They might not be full federal prohibition. They'll still kind of be almost in the sense of, you know, states rights because now it's when you have more than half of the U S pop like population, like in favor of it, like there's very few issues that people within this country could agree on legalizing marijuana is one of them. At least a majority of it left people are. So, I mean, it's moving quickly. It, there really is no, um, the, the stigma around it is not as high anymore. And the idea of the, the, the gateway drug thing and aspect is bullshit. It's BS. You know, if anything, alcohol is the number one gateway drug of anything else. But, you know, it's like things only be, things are only illegal when there isn't a, a consolidated market and those who have power you know, can make their, their buck on it. And the marijuana industry, like the cannabis industry, excuse me, that's the proper technical term for it, is uh, doing the same thing. But, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, it's just, it's a shame that sometimes as society progresses that there are still archaic laws and in, in, in place in certain institutions that limits people's ability. And then, of course, thinking about this aspect of who, athletes are in their private lives, what they do in terms of being able to manage themselves and their mental health and their physical health, you know, that, that also comes into play too, because as this young woman, you know, stated, she was using marijuana in this instance, really to cope, like she lost somebody. And, you know, for people who've lost people, you know, sometimes it's really difficult, you know, some people drink, some people smoke weed, some people will go to parties, write books, whatever the case may be. And, you know, it, it brings in the, the, in the 
the topic of mental health as well and what people can do for that and whether or not, you know, we as a society or institutions are, gen are, are genuinely giving people an opportunity to just be themselves. And unfortunately, in some cases, they're not. And when it comes to athletes or people who do, who are in the public eye, you know, we tend to almost deify them in a way that if they do anything that's human, they're, they're penalized for it. And that's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that this young woman is not going to be on the Olympic team at all. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully her, her trial and tribulation will lead, will pave the way for uh, reform and change because people are having these conversations now. And, you know, hopefully in the future, this is something that future athletes don't ha won't have to deal with, especially being that more and more of them are utilizing, um, you know, topical creams and capsules and other these things, especially when it comes to pain relief and chronic pain, which many of them suffer from too, which many athletes are now advocating using cannabis for because it is, you know, not addictive. Like it's not in the sense like habit forming as you would have say an opioid, which many of them have been prescribed over the course of years, which have led to a lot of people having, you know, you know, opioid uh, addiction. addiction. So, yeah, that's something else. But anyway, yeah. I'm okay with you. I'm okay with you bashing big tobacco. I'm not okay with you bashing big alcohol because everybody knows alcohol and local breweries fuel this podcast. I'm joking. And they so, you. <laughs> so and, and you too, my friend, way before we started recording. And I hope uh, Shikari is able to run. Probably not, but it's it, it's ridiculous. But Staying in California and staying with Mr. Mr. Afro Man about, you know, just blaze. Staying in California, we're going to our next segment, our, a new segment called Styling and Profiling with the world-famous wrestling champion, Ric Flair. Woo! Thank you. I was going to ask you if you could do that because I can't do it, but I love people. Every, come on, everyone knows Ric Flair. The guy's a YouTube legend. He's, he's a legend, but he's also now a continuous, continuous legend on YouTube. Style and profiling. This is where I want to talk about fashion and sports. And fashion is the wrong word, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work on it. As you all know, I've been tracking the, the whole Nike City Connect jersey because Nike is now the official maker, whatever, the producer of all the baseball jerseys in, in, in Major League Baseball. And about, I think about seven or nine teams had – these new jerseys that they're supposed to they're supposed to be alternative. They're supposed to reflect the history of whatever city that they're playing in. And frankly, most of the, most of them have been pretty crappy. And a few days ago, the San Francisco giants had their Nike city connect Jersey reveal. And it was garbage. It was horrible people. This Jersey they have is all white Gatorade orange. <laughs> When I say Gatorade orange, you're going to look at it when you go on the internet machine and you'll be like, that looks like Gatorade. Gatorade orange uniform. The letter G, which I have absolutely no idea what font it is. And so Nike and, and the San Francisco Giants said, oh, this City Connect jersey represents fog and the Golden Gate Bridge. So Carlo, fog. How in the hell are you supposed to... I... There's so many things you can, and I'm not the only one. There's so many things you can represent with San Francisco. Fog and the Golden Gate Bridge, it's like an easy cop-out. And, this, and uh, there was a website, there was a, there was a article in the San Francisco, in the San Francisco, the SF Gate, the SF Gate. 
the writer said, quote, the Giants' new uniforms somehow managed to be uninteresting, uninspiring, and underwhelming all at the same time, end quote. Yeah, it's completely bad. true. What do, you, what do you think of these? They're crap. They're, they're really bad. It's like somebody who was like really, really high made it. And it wasn't even like, like no. it's just bad. They weren't high. That's the thing. They weren't high. Whoever they, I wish whoever the Nike design graphic artist was doing those was high because it's such a cop-out. On the sleeves, it's like golden, golden it's the golden gate, gate arches. And on the side of the baseball cap, it's also like golden gate. And then it's like this wis this wistfulness of white to represent fog. It is they're hideous. And the Giants are planning on wearing these these jerseys every single Tuesday from now until the end of the season. And just because of those jerseys, I hope they don't go to the playoffs. I know that right now the Giants are leading the National League West and every they're, they're the surprise team of the year and they might win the, the division. They might go to the playoffs. I hope they don't because of this. It, by the way, people, Nike and the San Francisco Giants, if you want an authentic Nike City Connect jersey of the Giants, they're charging you the low, low price of $434.99. Ridiculous. Oh, my God. There's, it, it just it really makes me angry because, Degarlo, you remember, we, we, had the, we had this conversation back in the fall at, right after the World Series win in, the, in October of, uh, when, the, when the Dodgers won the World Series about why don't they hire actual local artists to do things. The, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you get a massive corporation like, like Nike to do all of your quote-unquote local representative artwork and history or if you ugly don't have, jerseys or this is what you have when you have a large corporation who's not smart enough to say you know what let's just work with local organizations because for one it makes our social impact look a lot better because we've taken the time to empower and employ local artists to create merchandise like the the art like create the copy for merchandise that's going to be representing their locality like it works it like honestly if you think about it as a business model it works like no. one win for them but no. they didn't think like that through it was like oh okay yeah we'll do this and create it based on what i don't know carlo this is why my friend you're, you're amazing but you could never work for a nike or a big corporation because you think too logical what you just said is too logical for them to be like, wait, no, no, because we would have to pay a tiny retainer to some artist for $50,000. God forbid that eats into our, our profit margins of charging people $434.99 on a god-awful authentic city jersey for the San Francisco Giants. By the way, people, this is not just my opinion. Twitter is a – Giants Twitter is a flame. This is a big bomb. This is – nobody likes it. It's horrible. It's ugly. So far, there's there's one left. There's one left to reveal. Next month in August, the Los Angeles Dodgers are coming out with quote unquote their Nike City Connect jersey, yeah. and I'm really interested in that. That one, though. I'm sorry. I mean, because they have a lot of people like it's you, LA. You hope like, you, you hope who? Like Ben Baller or somebody who like LA version, like people who have like a high profile in LA who could actually do this would do something like this. Hopefully, I have zero faith in them. looking at what they've done this year. They, I think they've only done two good ones and one decent one. Mm. From my money, Arizona Diamondbacks, the Chicago White Sox, and probably the Miami Marlins. All the other ones have been straight garbage, straight garbage. 
And the fact that they're going to probably screw up the Los Angeles Dodgers, Los Angeles Dodgers City Connect jersey makes me not even excited for next month's reveal. So uh, Nike is definitely has not been styling and profiling uh, this year. So again, Nike City Connect jersey, they're going to be rolling them out this year in 2022. And, and by, the, by the end of 2023, all the teams in Major League Baseball will have their own City Connect jersey. So I really hope Nike does a lessons learned uh, at the end of the season to see that they have really bad designers in, uh, where is it, Oregon? In uh, whatever the, wherever Oregon. the heck. Beaverton, Oregon. Beaverton, Oregon. They're terrible. Please fire them or hire new consultants. I don't know. I'll be more than happy to have HBP as consultants, design consultants for this stuff because it's ridiculous. It's so ugly. Anyways, what's not ugly is the face of our beautiful pets. People, we love drinks here. Send us pictures for that. We love your pets here. Send us a picture of your, of your beautiful pets because we're going to retweet them. Again, our Twitter handle is at HPP4040. And when you're sending the pictures, use the hashtag HBPets, H-B-P-E-T-S. And before we wrap up, we, we want to, as we do occasionally, want to welcome some new listeners from around the world because DeCarlo and I are misters worldwide. We want to welcome new listeners from Lima, Peru, Marseille, France, Marseille, which is uh, in the southeast of France, very close to the Italian border. Boo, the Italian national team. Belize City, Belize. I don't want to say too much about Belize because then you're going to get all these influencers and hipsters and all these nonsense people leaving Tulum, Mexico to go to Belize when they find out how beautiful and how beautiful the water is down there. And Belize doesn't need those people. And finally, we have a new listener from Russia. Unfortunately, through the uh, our data analytics, we couldn't find out what city in Russia. But still, uh, do you know any? Do you know any Russian there, Carlo? Da, 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 Russia. Oh no, I know. No, I, I, I know one. I know. I one know thing some in curses. But... No, I know. Uh, I know something kind of sweet. I think I was. I was told it's kind of sweet. It's called. Uh, it's called. It's the Ochen Krasivaya. The Ochen Krasivaya, which means. Even though it sounds ugly, it's supposed to mean you're as beautiful as red because in Russia, red is like the color of beauty. So, in communism. Uh, in com- <laughs> so whatever, whatever. Thank you is in Russian. Uh, merci in, in uh, français. Gracias in español. Uh, thank you in Belize because it was a former British colony, so they speak English there. And whatever it is in Russia, thank you. Thank you to all the new listeners. And that is a wrap for us on this episode. So we want to thank you again for listening. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at HPP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HPP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace. Peace.